I wanna take a different approach today in talking with you here just for the first part of this. It's good to have all of you here, but today we're gonna be talking about the four lies that destroy marriages. And the enemy would want nothing more than to come and destroy your marriage if you're married today. He hates relationships, especially the concept of marriage. It's why we see in today's culture, everyone coming against marriage, saying that it's okay, you don't have to be married. It's a lie that's been infiltrated from the depths of hell into our current culture, into our world, and into our lives today. The reason why that he hates marriage is because perfect, it's the perfect description of Jesus's relationship to us. That's why he hates marriage. So when it comes to dating or marriage, I'm curious, what do you say to yourself? What thoughts go through your mind when you think about someone you might potentially pursue as a spouse? Or what thoughts go through your mind when you think about your spouse? For example, if you're thinking about dating, do you say to yourself, I know what God is doing and he's doing a work in me and God is preparing someone special for me and I can't wait to share the covenant one day of marriage with someone that God is preparing for me? Or do you say to yourself, oh, all the good ones are taken. There's no hope. There's no one godly out there anymore. See, when it comes to your marriage, if your marriage is maybe today in a rough spot, because let's just face it, almost all marriages come to a rough spot occasionally in their life, right? Do you say to yourself, well, my marriage isn't perfect, but I thank God he is perfect and he's good. He's working in me and I trust that he's working in my spouse. Or if you're in that position today, do you say to yourself, no matter what I do, there's no hope. My marriage is never going to get better. Divorce is my only option. What do you say when you think about relationships, when you think about dating or when you think about marriage? Do you speak encouraging and positive faith-filled words when you think about marriage? Or do your thoughts sound more like this? If someone really knew me, they wouldn't want me. After all I've done, I'll never have a good marriage. I'm just going to live however I want now. What I do now won't affect my marriage later. My marriage is beyond repair. No matter what, it'll never work. Everyone flirts. Everyone looks. I'm not doing anything wrong. Besides, she's not meeting my needs anyway. I come from a divorced and broken family. No one in my family will ever have good marriages. I married the wrong person. Divorce is my only option. See, there's two sources that can either help you or bring you to a place of either rejecting the lies or believing the lies. And these two sources are found in John chapter eight, verse 44. It says, you are the father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. 
When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The enemy comes to bring lies into your marriage, and sometimes the story playing in our mind sounds better than the reality that we're living right now in our lives. The other source is found in John chapter 8, verse 32. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, these are the two sources. There's the lies, it's the devil, and there's the truth, which is Jesus. And today, like I said in the beginning, we're gonna talk about the four lies that destroy marriages. I firmly believe that if we know the devil's game plan, we can set up not only a great defense against it, but we can set up a great offense against his schemes. And unfortunately, in today's world, especially within marriages, we like to lie to ourselves, saying those same exact things. I come from a divorced and broken family. No one in my family will ever have good marriages. I'm sure somebody in this room has said that before. I'm sure somebody in this room has believed this lie that I'll never be wealthy because no one in my family has ever been wealthy. And I suggest to you this morning that those are lies and covenant lies that are spoken over your life. And today we need to shine the light on the truth so we can disband the lie over our lives and over our marriages. So let's pray. Father, we love you today. Today, as we talk about this very serious subject, God, about the lies that destroy marriage, God, I ask that revelation would come to our hearts and our minds, that Lord Jesus, your desire for our marriage and for my marriage is to be a light into this world so that you can be lifted up. You said in your word, God, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. God, and this is just one way we can lift you up is through our marriages. Help us, give us strength. Give a strategy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's talk about this. Number one lie. Go ahead, Stephen, put that up. Number one lie. Number one lie is I can change him or her. How many of you guys believe that's a lie? Someone said, men marry women hoping they won't change, and women marry men hoping they will change. And both are gonna be disappointed. There's an old quote. When you're dating, opposites attract. But when you're married, opposites attack. For example, you could be dating right now, Mr. Laidback, okay? Mr. Laidback, super chill, super easy, right? But when you get married, he quickly becomes Mr. I don't pick up after myself. And then you get angry, right? Or you can be dating right now, Miss Strong and confident. She's got it all together. She doesn't need somebody. But then when you get married, it quickly becomes Mrs. Controlling and nagging all the time. What happens over time in marriage or in a relationship, you begin to wish for something that they're not giving you. That's what happens a lot of the time in marriages. It was funny, I, when I said Mrs. Nagging, I saw some husbands go like this to their wives. It was pretty awesome. 
It happens all the time in marriages because you're, you're hoping that there'll be something for you. That's why I always say that happiness should not be reliant on the person that you're with, but happiness, every powerful person knows that happiness is an inside job. Every person should know that if you rely on somebody else or something else to create the environment for you to be happy, you're gonna be disappointed every day of your life. You have to know the truth for you. Some people might say, I wish she'd make me a priority, or I wish her life didn't revolve around the kids. Or some people might say, I wish he didn't drink so much. Or I wish she would control her anger and her temper. And at some point, you begin to think, something's got to change. Something's got to give. Something's got to happen in order for us as a couple to move forward. Now, just, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I can almost vouch to say this morning that there's been people in this place who have come to a tipping point in your marriage where you've had to decide. Am I going to stay or am I going to leave? And we need to understand something, that you can't change your spouse. Only God can change your spouse. Amen? Okay, that wasn't very good because it sounds like you guys think you can change your spouse, okay? <laughs> Only God can change your spouse, yeah? Yeah? So what's our priority in our marriage if something's got to change? Well, number one, I'm going to teach you two ways to pray for your spouse. If God is the only one that can change our spouse, here's two ways that we can pray. Let me first, before I say this, say to you that in your marriage, it is our responsibility, number one, to pray and make sure that our relationship with God is tender before the Lord. Yes? And it's also our responsibility, man, I'm talking to you especially, to pray for your marriage. To pray for your spouse. Women, it's also your responsibility too to pray for your husband and make sure that he feels honored in the home. Make sure that he feels respected. And women, men, listen, make sure that your wife feels loved. Because out of the two things that separate marriages, it comes down to love and respect. When the man doesn't feel respected and the woman doesn't feel loved and it's because we're speaking the language that none of us understand with one another, right? So here's two ways to pray for your spouse. Number one, pray for God to change them. Pray for God to change them. If God is the only one that can change them, then let's partner with heaven and ask God, God, will you change my spouse? Remember, the book of James says in James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and what? Effective. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You may not think it's powerful. You may not feel that it's effective. But I want you to know, if we're going to stand on the word of God, we have to believe that our prayers are powerful and effective. And I think it's time that Christians really start taking God at his word. Because we hope and we have this idea and we wish, but we never put practicals to our relationship with God. I want you to know that your prayer is powerful and effective. Remember, praying for your spouse is not a sprint, but it's a marathon. Come on, somebody. It's a marathon. But in this so thing called a marathon life, 
especially if your husband or your wife doesn't serve the Lord. That really makes it difficult because, you know, not everyone, you know, had the perfect marriage. Like, not everyone had it all, right, when they got married. You just both didn't serve the Lord. You both weren't in this. Maybe one of you did. Maybe one of you didn't. Maybe you both got, maybe you, you came to know Jesus after you were married and, and one believes more, one other one doesn't believe them more and whatever the case is, there's a lot of stuff like that happening in our world and in our marriages. And that is a normal, normal thing. But what I see a lot of the times, I see one spouse getting extremely frustrated with the other spouse because they're not leading my home. Well, wife, spouse, woman, lady, whatever you call yourself, right? Let them lead. I'll get to that in just a second. But in this marathon, what's gonna happen if you pray as if in a marathon, you'll begin to see little changes. It may not happen right away, but you'll begin to see the heart of your spouse begin to change Little by little. The Bible puts it like this. Solomon told in the Song of Songs, he said, make sure to wash her with the word, not scrub her with the word. There's a difference. To wash her with the word, to cover her with the word, to love her into a relationship with God, to love him into a relationship with God. I also encourage you in this, if you are in a marriage where the spouse isn't a believer, and trust me, I run into this all the time, pray for your spouse to come around. Keep being the positive enforcer of God in the house, and eventually they will come around. (laughs) I'm telling you, this is probably the one that I get the most, and this is how it usually goes. The wife loves God, wants to come to church, wants to get involved. The husband's like, nah, that's cool. No, thank you. That's all right. It's weird in there. <laughs> it happens all the time, man. It happens all the time, right? I can't believe they're doing this. I don't know. This is too much. And then, but let me encourage you, wife. Let me talk to the wives real quick. Let me encourage you that if that, and you're in that position, Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Continue to be that spiritual enforcer at home. And what I mean by that is live in submission, but also pray for your home. Be that guard for your home. And then pray for your husband. We don't want to be nagged into coming to church. It's not going to work. <laughs> right? But if you lead by example, hey, I'm going to church today. I really want you to stay home. I'll be home after church. Love you. Hey, come with me to the, well, guys aren't, I mean, ladies can't come to the chili cook-off, but, you know. (laughs) I will say no to you if you come, I promise. You shall not pass. (laughs) Sorry, I've been watching Lord of the Rings lately. But continue to lead by example. Submit to your husband. Love them. Care for them. Husbands, the same way. Love your wives. If they're the ones that don't want to come around, continue to be that person that leads by example. Amen? Now, you might ask, I've been praying for my spouse, 
I've been marathoning for quite a while now. <laughs> what if they don't come around? What if it doesn't happen? I suggest to you this morning that prayer may or may not change your spouse, but prayer will always change you. Prayer will always change you. So the second way to pray is pray that God change you. Pray that God change you. As the famous theologian said, Michael Jackson, I'm looking at the man in the mirror, right? If you wanna be a better, if you wanna have a better marriage, start by making a better you. Psalms chapter 139, verse 23 through 24 says this. Search me, God, and know my heart. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. I love that. Why? Because it puts personal responsibility on me to make sure that my heart is pure before the Lord. It's easy to point out the impurity in your spouse's heart. It's easy to point out when they're doing something wrong. But what about you? What about you? What role do you have in this? So that's why it's extremely important that you keep pure before the Lord, that you come to him and you ask him, God, search me. Search me so I can be pure before you. So what's this mean? What does this mean? How, how do you allow God to search you? So when you pray, pray this. Pray, change my attitude, God. Change my attitude. God, help me to forgive not that I should be like justified in my unforgiveness. No, God, help me to forgive. Help me to be less controlling. Help me, God, to be less critical. God, will you heal my heart and change my heart? That's how you pray when you pray for yourself to change. If you want your husband to be more of a leader in your home, again, start praying and stop complaining. Start praying and stop complaining. You know what complaining is? Complaining just means you have more faith in the devil than you do in God. Ooh, Jesus, thank you, Lord. It's true. I hear it all the time, God. It's amazing to me. The other day I just sat in my truck and I just thought about this. I was just asking God to search my heart, right? And I thought... Kristen and I have almost been in ministry full-time for three decades. That's pretty amazing. And I can tell you, in those close to 30 years, this is what I run into the most with marriages, is that the spouse comes and complains all the time. My husband this, my husband that, my wife this, my wife that but yet they rarely take the responsibility to actually change and do something about themselves. Rarely. They want to blame somebody else for the way that their outcome is. Let me say it again. Complaining just means you have more faith in the devil than you do in God. So the number one lie that will destroy marriage is I can change him or her, okay? All right, number two lie that can destroy a marriage is a good marriage is always 50-50. It's a lie. See, 50-50 marriages are contractual and not covenant. 
And remember, at the beginning of this series, we talked about what a contract versus a covenant is. Okay? A covenant is you give everything and they give everything. It's all in all. It's not you do your part, I'll do my part, so therefore we're in a relationship. See, half-hearted effort plus half-hearted commitment equals wholehearted disappointment. If you believe that marriage is always 50-50, you'll have the tendency to keep score. And the moment you start keeping score, you both lose. You both lose. I'm reminded of this funny video where he said, he said, uh, each of you should give 100%. And someone said, that's mathematically incorrect. <laughs> it was, it's funny to me. <laughs> I should have showed it. But the reality is, is that each, when you're in a marriage relationship, each of you should give 100% to that relationship. Each should give 100% to that marriage. 100% effort, 100% submission, 100% of your love, and 100% of your lives belongs to your spouse. Ephesians chapter five, verse 25 says this, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And most relationships that are in 50-50 mode, they're saying this, I'll do this and you do that. It's something that all relationships have to grow in. And where we live in that, when we, when we live in that, we're not fully giving ourselves over to them. That's why it's important for us to give 100% of our time, of our love, of ourselves to our spouse. And Kristen and I's relationship, we've had to grow in this and still grow in it. Come on, somebody, who's with me? Now, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I'm gonna say it because this is my personality. Most men are hunter-gatherers. I will kill, I will eat, I work, I get money, I go to my job, I do this. Huh. Oh, 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 oh. Right? Right? I hate window shopping. Kristen will attest to this. Right now, we're in this position right now where there's some things we gotta get, right? And she's going, let's just go look around. And I'm like, no. Like, I have no interest in finding stuff out, none. I go, that color, this, that, boom, go now. Who's, come on, guys, who's with me, right? And no reason for us to sit there and speculate and think about, I wonder what, right? Now, I'm telling you, I'm growing in this, okay? So that's how men typically think. And the other way that men typically think is because I do these things, woman, you cook, you clean, you take care of the kids. It's not that hard. <laughs> I kill, I eat, I feed. You cook, you clean. Why are you complaining? It's not that hard. I can do what you can do. Well, I had that opportunity to. I remember Kristen, just after having the boys, Samuel went back to work and she had a work trip. She, she worked for a company and she had a work trip 
This was later on in our marriage after a few years of us being married. And I had to take care of the kids by myself. I was like, so what, man? What's the big deal? It ain't that big of a deal, right? I could do this. What's she going to be whining about all the time, right? She's got to go do what I do. (laughs) The reality was, is that I called her every couple of hours. What should we do? Sammy won't stop crying. I need help. Somebody help me, please. And I remember telling my father-in-law, Pastor Steve, I remember saying to him, I said, man, being a single parent is hard. (laughs) The reality is this. If we think I do this and you do that 50-50, then we'll both have these strings attached where we say, well, I do this and you never do that. And you do this and I never do that. And so that leaves us unfulfilled And it leaves us in a false reality of what marriage really is. But if we say to each other, and if we live this way, I lay myself down for you like Christ did the church. I become dead to myself. I do things out of love and not out of obligation. So ask these questions to yourself right now, especially if you're married. What would happen if you both gave 100% right now? You left today and you both gave 100% of your relationship to each other. What will happen if you don't give 100%? Because the devil is a liar. Amen? And what he'll do if you're not in this place of 100-100, he'll begin to weave things in your marriage, lies that aren't true. Amen? So lie number one is, I can change them. Lie number two, a good marriage is always 50-50. Lie number three. Lie number three that ruins marriages and destroys marriages is this one little thing isn't a big thing. This one little thing isn't a big thing. This one little secret, this one little thing that I'm doing, this one little thing that I'm looking at, This one little thing that I'm engaging in, it isn't really that big of a deal. It's really not hurting anybody else around me. It's not that big of a deal. See, the enemy will tell you this. He'll tell you that it's not that big of a deal, that it's not hurting anyone. And one thing that I can tell you going back to my time in ministry is, in these three decades of full-time ministry, that it's never the one big thing that kills marriages. It's never the one big thing, but it's always all the little things that go unchecked that leads to the big things that ruins marriages. It's never that, no one ever wakes up and says, you know what, today I'm gonna have an affair. Nobody ever does. No one ever wakes up and says, you know what, I'm gonna leave my wife and my husband dry, I'm gonna take all the money and go. No one ever does that. No one ever just wakes up and just, okay, I guess it's time. No, what happens is all along the way in your relationship, if you even you're to look back a little bit, you will see little things that go unchecked. You'll see little things that never were confronted in your marriage because you wanted just to, it's not hurting anybody. So what that I looked on the computer and I looked on my phone and I saw that. It's not that big of a deal. I don't have to really confess that. 
So what if I, so what if I'm hiding the way that I'm spending money? It's not that big of a deal. I do all the checkbook anyway. I can do what I want. It's not that big of a deal. Listen, again, the little things always lead to the big things. You never just go one day, I think I'm going to do this. No, it starts off small. Let me get to my notes again. The little flirtations, the emotional needs being met at work rather than at home. You start wanting to see them more and more than you do your spouse. You start sharing messages online because no one else is looking and no one else is noticing. You're hiding it really, really well. And in your heart, it's exciting. Why? Because you're getting away with it. Then one day, one day, if it's left unchecked and left undone, one day you will get to that place where it will come to a head. Why? Because the Bible says this, what's done in the dark will come to light. The Bible also says, make sure that your sins will find you out. Everything that is hidden will come to light. So don't think right now in your heart, if you're doing some stuff that your spouse doesn't know about, looking at, or whatever the case is, don't think for one second that one day, one day that's gonna come out. Because it will, why? Because God's not gonna allow you to get to a point in your marriage where the enemy's gonna win over your marriage. He's gonna bring that to light so that way you can come to grips with it. That's what happens. See, there's a love story in the Bible between Solomon and the Shulamite woman. In the Song of Solomon, in 2.15, it says this. Catch, catch for us the little foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards are vineyards that are in bloom. So the vineyards that are in bloom means this. It means your healthy relationship in your marriages. Those are the things that are in bloom, the vineyards. The little foxes, the little foxes will come in and try to destroy a healthy vineyard. Always. So what are these little foxes? What are these little foxes that that Solomon was telling his son, hey, be careful with this. Catch those little foxes before they ruin your vineyards. What are those little foxes? Number one, lustful thoughts. Lustful thoughts are the little foxes. Ah, just a thought, man, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, one thought, okay. Two thought, oh, okay. Three thought, before you know it, you start entertaining that thought. You start thinking about those things Wishing that your wife would be like that. The little foxes are a critical spirit. Always critical all the time. Another little fox that most marriages deal with this is secret spending. When you're not on the same page as your spouse. It's not that big of a deal. Another little fox is your secret addictions. Nobody else knows about but you and Jesus. Jesus. Whatever that is, whatever that is. You know, the Bible says don't have any other idols before God, amen? You know what an idol is? An idol is something that you can't fast. That's what an idol is. An idol is something that you can't put in the back burner to focus on God. It's an idol in your life. So you need to get rid of it. The little foxes can sometimes... You're looking up that old girlfriend, that old boyfriend on Facebook. I wonder what they're doing. And then before you know it, that rekindling of that old desire starts to come back into your heart and 
You start dwelling on it. You start thinking about it. And then before you know it, you find a way to get in contact with them. Look, in three decades of marriage, I'm telling you, I've seen a lot of stuff. And I'm telling you right now, it only happens with the little before it's the big. Some would say, Pastor, no one is perfect. No one's perfect. I'm managing my sin. Listen, you don't manage sin, you confess it. You want to be free from your sin? Jesus does it. I understand that. But you know what's really great? And the Catholics found a key with this. I'm not supporting Catholicism here this morning, but they have an idea. The Bible says to confess your sins to one another so you can have freedom. You really want to be free from sin? The thing that you know that you're dealing with? Then go confess that, not just to God, but confess that to somebody else especially if it's with your spouse. If you're dealing with issues with pornography, if you're dealing with issues of lust, if you're dealing with issues of overspending, if you're dealing with issues of gambling, then you need to go confess that. Go confess it if you want to break free from it. When your spouse knows what sin you're dealing with, it will be easier to spot the foxes and it's easier to kill the foxes with two than it is with one. The Bible says again, confess your sins to one another. And I suggest that if there's things you're dealing with, it's time to confess it. So, lies that destroy marriage. Number one, you can change them. Number two, a good marriage is 50-50. Lie number three, the little things aren't that big. And the last one, there's no hope for my marriage. It's the last lie. There's no hope for my marriage. I'm gonna get real serious here real quick, okay? I know that marriage can be rough. Amen? Marriage can be difficult, man. Marriage can be rough. It's hard. And there might be some in here with some very rough, difficult marriages right now. So in no way am I belittling the challenges that you're facing right now. I know marriage is difficult. I know it's hard. I know that they've done things that aren't fair. I know that you've done things that aren't fair. And to find that medium in between is so difficult to do. I know that. God knows that. He understands that. It's difficult. Relationships can be challenging, amen? They can be challenging. Some of you today, I don't know everyone's story. I, I really don't. I said at the very beginning of this series that I'm gonna say things that you might think that I'm thinking of you, but I'm not. Okay, I'm not. This is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Some of you in this place might be married to an addict. You might be married to somebody who constantly has an addiction. I'm not necessarily talking about drugs and alcohol. Maybe, maybe something else. Maybe you're addicted to your own vanity. Maybe you think the world revolves around you all the time. I don't know. Maybe that's your addiction. 
Some of you this morning, you've been betrayed in your marriage. You felt betrayed. You felt lied to. But she said she would do this. He said he would do this. And they never fulfilled that commitment. You feel betrayed. Some of you, maybe even today, you're in an abusive relationship. Maybe it's physical. Let me suggest to you this morning that if it's physical, get out now. And the word talks about that. But maybe you're in a really emotionally abusive relationship and it's really, really hard. It's not easy. But I'll say this. If you're in that spot and you're in one of these relationships and you're saying there's no hope, that God can't do it, I want you to know that God can and he is able and abundantly able to fix your marriage. His desire is to see that repaired, transformed, redeemed. But I'll say this, it takes two to restore a broken marriage. It takes two to restore a broken marriage. And again, you can't control your spouse, amen? But the truth is this, with God, with God, there's always hope. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, he said, with him, all things are possible. With him, all things are possible. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? We need to identify the lies that we're believing and replace them with the truth. We need to replace them with the truth. We need to identify where the foxes have come in and we need to replace them with the truth of how God sees that. So married people, I encourage you today, this week, whenever the time is right, (laughs) sit down with your spouse and be honest and transparent and have a heartfelt discussion on your marriage. Stop being roommates in the same home. Start being a couple that talk, that communicate. Say things like this. Hey, I'm feeling a certain way. Can you help me understand why I'm feeling this way? One of my favorite sayings that has just helped Kristen and I so much in our relationship is, this is what I heard you say. Is this what you meant? This is what I heard you say. Is this what you meant? It's one of the greatest things that I've ever asked and she's ever asked me. Because reality is, you hear things differently than what they really are meant by. Why? Because we want to be justified in the way that we're feeling. But if I truly live in a hundred and hundred, I'll be submissive to my spouse. Ask questions. Don't accuse them. You did this, you did that. That's not a question. A question would be, hey, the other day, this happened. Can I bring it up? 
Can we talk about it? Why do we want to do that in our marriages and our relationships? Why? Because that provides an atmosphere for the truth to be told and the lies to be dismantled. That's why. See, the enemy would want nothing more, nothing more than to divide your marriage. So today, make a covenant and a promise before the Lord that you're not going to let that happen. Say, whatever is in the dark, I'm going to bring to light. Men, women, listen. If you're dealing with something and it's embarrassing, it's embarrassing because you don't want your spouse to look at you in a certain way, tell the truth. Because if your spouse really does love you the way they, they say they love you, they'll be there for you. Be honest. Be transparent. Hey, sweetie, I want you to know that I've been looking at stuff on my phone and on my internet that isn't right. I know it's not. I know it's not, man. I, I, I really messed up. I've been doing it quite frequently. And, and I'm, I'm sorry. Confess your sins. Don't manage it. Amen? Let's bring to the light and see what God can do with the truth. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I honor you today. I thank you for your love, your goodness, and your mercy. And I thank you today, Jesus, that you are alive in our marriages. I thank you, God, that today nothing will be hidden anymore. God, and me being a man, a real man, means that I'm gonna be honest with the reality of my life. So Jesus, give us strength to confess. Let us push down the live embarrassment and become honest and truthful with our spouses. And for every wife in this place, God, I pray that you give them comfort, peace, hope, but also, but also Lord, Give them the intestinal fortitude to be real with their husband, to love them, to honor them, to respect them. God, we thank you for being the perfect example of this, Jesus. You lived in such a way, God, where you said, Lord, you are never married, and we know that. But God, you said this, I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear my father saying. I only go where my father tells me to go. So Jesus, let us take that as the example in our relationships, God, that we will be centered around your will. God, we honor you today. God, we thank you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we go ahead and stand? Ministry team, come forward. If you need prayer for anything, maybe it's you and your spouse. Go ahead and stand, guys. If you need prayer for your marriage or your spouse or you just need prayer for anything, okay, anything at all, I want to encourage you to find a place up here. I love you guys so much. I'm going to pray us out and you guys are dismissed. Father, we love you. We thank you. But we know you're the healer in Jesus' name. Amen. Take care, guys. Have a great rest of the day. If you need prayer for anything, come on forward.